Hi, and welcome back to the Stuff I Like podcast with me, Sherry. So somebody asked me the other day what my money rules would be. Like, what have I chosen as my fuel rules to live my life by? And I gave it some thought, and here they are. The very first one is, don't spend money you don't have. <laughs> this one, I got to tell you, it took me such a long time to learn it. I'm glad I did. But when I was $60,000 in debt, I was still spending five or $600 a month on nonsense, which I justified as essentials, because I felt like I deserved it. I felt like I had a hard day and I needed to treat myself. This might sound familiar to some of you. I also felt like I earned that money, so I had a right to spend it. But really, when you earn that money, you have the right to spend it, yes but you also have the right to save it, to clear your debt, to invest, to build a financial future and a nest egg for yourself so you don't have to keep hustling like this because if you really hate your job, this is your goal, right? So if you're in debt, you don't have the money, don't spend it. I would even include mortgages in this, and this is maybe an unpopular opinion, but basically the way that I saw things is you don't own the house if there's still a mortgage on it. The bank owns your house. And that is, unfortunately, scarily true. The other thing, too, is that variable mortgages in recent times have taken a lot of people off guard. I mean, it caught them really off guard. Their mortgage payments went from, you know, 2000 a month to 3000 And some for some people, they're already on the edge. So absorbing another 1000 another 2000 this is going to break a lot of people. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But it's why, it's why I always hear... Is mortgage debt good debt? I'm not entirely sold on it. I would say if it's below 5%, 5% or below, then okay, maybe you can afford to invest more, spend more. But if it's over 5%, you might want to focus on clearing that debt as one of your priorities. My second rule is to always invest while you're clearing your debt, which sounds counterintuitive to what I just told you, right? But Sherry, you literally just said to not spend money you don't have. Doesn't investing count? Yes and no. Kind of depends on your situation, okay? So if your job is super stable and you're very unlikely to be fired, I would absolutely invest while you're in debt. I would put the, at least the maximum percentage towards your employer-funded retirement plan. So if they match it 50%, 100%, max it out. If they say 4%, and you have to give an extra $1,000 a month for it, do it because that return is excellent, first of all. And also it's part of your compensation package. Okay, it's not free money. It's part of really your job. And then if you don't take advantage of it, you're just kind of leaving your compensation pay on the table because that's what it really is. If let's say you are super in debt, I'm talking like you're a million dollars in debt and it's at 8% interest. And you're thinking to yourself, should I invest as well? The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is absolutely no. If your interest rate on your debt is more than 5%, you need to focus on clearing that debt or at least getting it down to a manageable number, not a million, okay? <laughs> I'm just making up stuff here, but I'm just thinking of like the worst case scenario. But again, every situation is different. If your job is super stable and you're totally fine with a million dollars in debt at 8% interest, by all means, invest. But if your job is precarious, you have layoffs in your industry, maybe your job is slowly getting phased out for whatever reason, 
AI robots are taking over. I don't know, okay? Then you need to rethink between the balance of being in debt versus investing. But again, this is a personal situation and it's also based on how you feel about your money. So my third rule is a little bit more controversial or maybe not, but basically get yourself a good partner or stay single. Frankly, if I did not have my partner, I would be single because you need somebody who can support you emotionally, mentally, and also bring their half of the bills. Or even if they don't pay half their bills and that's the way you guys have it figured out, whatever. Okay. But you need somebody who can support you in an equitable and fair manner. So if you're both working full-time jobs and you come home exhausted, he or she has to know that they have to pick up the slack because that's what you do. You help each other out. And then when they come home exhausted and they need some sort of help or something, you pick up the slack, but you can't always be the one always picking up the slack and thinking of them and thinking ahead for them and babying them. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a fair relationship where you both feel like it's equal. And one of you, when you need to have an off day, you have an off day. When the other person has an off day, they have an off day, but it's in balance that not one person is taking all the damn off days. Okay. I have so much more to say on this, but that's basically it. You need to find yourself a good partner who can support you. Even career-wise, they have to understand that your career is important to you. And if they don't get that and they start saying things like, well, my career is more important, mm, mm, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to side-eye you. <laughs> a good partner also knows not to enable you. So if you're super spendy, they're not saying to you, ooh, go out and buy more. Little Bun is a terrible partner right now, okay? He's such an enabler. I say something like, oh, I like this dress. He's like, you should buy it in all the colors, mummy. <laughs> so that's a terrible partner. That's an example, a good example of a terrible partner. If they know that you have a goal that you're working towards and they don't help you achieve it, they don't say, you know, babe, why don't we think about maybe making sushi at home rather than buying sushi? What do you think about that? Rather than being like, oh, you want to get sushi? Okay, let's go YOLO. Why not? You know? A good supportive partner will support your goals. They will have your interests and your goals in mind and you have shared goals. This is what I have with my partner and this is what I expect that everybody deserves to have in their partner. Also, they can't just like crap all over you, okay? In the sense that they can't be like, oh, you do the household. It's kind of a woman's job, you know, or you take care of the kid full time. That's your job, you know? They're not babysitting their kids. They're also their kids, okay? They're just being a parent. They're very excited to continue being a, a father. <laughs> that's, that's something that I remember reading as a response when, when somebody said, oh, your husband's changing a diaper? That's so good of him to do so. And you're like, yeah, he's very excited to continue being a parent and a father, you know, because women don't get accolades for changing diapers, for instance. But again, another podcast topic for another time. Don't just save your money invested. That's my rule number four. Don't just save your money aside in a bank account earning piddly interest. Even if it's earning a really sweet 5.85% interest like I am right now, currently for the next few months, you need to invest that money to make it grow. 5.5% interest or even 5% interest. Let's keep it simple, okay? It's barely going to cover inflation. If inflation is at 4%, five minus four, you're really only earning 1% on your money. Okay. That is not going to cut it. But if you invest your money and the average return is 10%, inflation is four, you're earning six. Of course, then there's also MERs, management expense ratios, and 
you know, fees that you have to pay to invest your money, which is why I then suggest rule number five, invest in index funds. I've read a lot of literature about investing, quite a lot actually, especially in the beginning of when I started all of this. And everything points back to index fund investing. Now, the strategy of how you want to invest your money, that's up to you. You want to do 50% S&P 500, 25% TSX, another 25% global slash risky stocks, whatever. You decide what you want to do with your allocation based on what you Google and so on. But you need to understand that index funds are most likely the best way for you to go. There are some breakout stocks like NVIDIA that went up like 1300% this year, but you don't have a crystal ball. You can't guess as to what specific stock or company is going to be hot this year, next year, whatever, right? Nobody knew Best Buy or, no, not Best Buy, sorry, Bed Bath & Beyond was going to be a great meme stock. Some Redditors knew and whatever else, but I mean, that's a gamble, like GameStop, you know, like any of those other meme stocks. Forget individual stock picking when you don't have a lot of money. Until you reach a certain amount in your nest egg, I would say half a million or more, that's when you can set aside maybe $5,000 to dabble in a few stocks here and there that you're thinking of, and you can afford to quote unquote waste that money. But the bulk of your investment should be in index funds because you can set it and forget it. And this has been proven over and over again in my portfolio. And I'm still dumb enough to invest in single stocks here and there because I can't resist the lure of a quick win. But I'm smart enough to put fail-safe measures in place where I don't lose more than $1,000 at a time on any given stock. It's not something where I'm putting the bulk of my money into. The bulk of my money is in index funds, and that's what's going to get me to retirement. I guess along with rule six and seven, which I kind of touched on about gambling on individual stocks, don't invest in stuff that everybody's talking about. You know, cryptocurrency, where are those crypto bros now? And actually, if you just invested in index funds, you could ignore all the noise, okay? All this chatter of people like, oh, China's pulling back in the economy. Ignore all of it and just invest in index funds. Stick to your strategy. Do an asset reallocation four times a year, two times a year, whatever. But invest your money in index funds as the bulk of your investments and you'll be fine. For index funds to completely tank, the whole world would have to tank, okay? Because when you invest in an index fund, you're investing in 500 companies at once. For all of them to tank at the same time, kind of unlikely. Near impossible. Not impossible, but the risk is quite low. Versus one stock that you're betting all your eggs on, <laughs> that could actually just crash and burn overnight. You don't know. Rule number eight, which I probably have lost count of all the different rules now, but make conscious spending choices. Everybody talks about saving and investing. I know I did. But it's also important to learn how to spend your money, learn how to enjoy it, because some people just postpone joy and they don't spend money on traveling or taking that impromptu girls trip with somebody and then some terrible tragedy happens or they get sick or they get too old to be able to travel and all this money that they saved up for traveling around the world, they don't want to do it anymore. They're tired. They don't want to walk 15 hours a day looking at sites. So think about a balance in life, okay? You have to save and invest, yes, but you don't have to save and invest every single penny. You can set aside money to enjoy yourself too, unless of course you're heavily in debt based on my rule number two, but <laughs> slash rule number one, don't invest or don't spend money you do not have, I should say, but make sure that you learn how to also spend your money and enjoy it. 
Rule number nine would be to have an emergency fund. I have up to five years of emergency fund savings only because I'm a freelancer, so my income is very variable. If I don't make money, then I make zero, so I have to divest my investments, and maybe it's at an all-time low, so I should actually have cash to just cover my living until my stocks go back up, and then I'm or index funds, I should say, index ETFs, they go back up, and then I'm able to sell to live off that money. An emergency fund is an emergency fund. It is not a planned fund. If you have a really crappy lemon of a car, which I did for many years, I actually had two crappy lemons of a car. I had an emergency maintenance fund. Actually, I don't even call it emergency fund. It was just a car fund that I set aside knowing I would have to repair things on that car. So when the axle or whatever that holds the wheels together broke on my car and it cost me two grand, I had money set aside to pay for that. That is an ongoing car fund. You should have an ongoing home fund, ongoing miscellaneous fund. You should have multiple different funds of different things that you know are going to come up as things that you have to pay for. My parents, for instance, don't have a home fund, so I had to pay for their roof at eight grand. Okay, They also don't have a home fund for an air conditioner. I also paid that. But you may not have a sherry in your life to fund your lifestyle <laughs> as your daughter. Okay. So you should have different maintenance funds for all the things in your life that you know are going to cost money. Even having a fund for fees, a Christmas fund, I'm talking like anything that can be planned that's going to be a big expense, plan for it. An emergency fund is an emergency fund. You cannot know that you were going to lose your job. If you did know, by the way, that you were going to lose your job, you should have had a job fund. Okay, I'm just putting it out there. Emergency fund is you touch it upon threat of death. There's a ransom note out there. They need your five grand from your emergency fund. You give it to them, okay? That's an emergency. It's not planned, okay? Let's see. What are the rules do I live by? I mean, I guess I want to talk more about rule number eight about making conscious spending choices. I believe that you should spend your money where you really want to spend it. So if you don't want to spend it on a new car, okay, don't. Spend it on clothes instead or whatever you value. Spend it on your kids, you know? At least think about what you want out of life. If you love books and you want to have an unlimited budget when you go to the bookstore, by all means, put all your money towards books and don't spend money on your clothing like I do. I put my money towards, oh my gosh, actually, I'm not a really good example, but I put my money towards everything, (laughs) which is not very helpful, but that's because I have the means to do so. So I have money for my car. I like spending, actually, I don't really like spending on my car, but I will do it if I have to. So I don't know. That one's kind of a meh, hit and miss. But I do love shopping. I love clothes. I love thrifting. I love having different styles and layers and colors and shoes. And yeah, I'm really into all of that. So shopping is my thing. I also love entertainment with little buns. So I buy lots of beads so that we can be together. He comes up with creations. And it's just so cool to see your kid take an interest in something that you're also interested in. And I want to encourage that. So I also have lots of spending that goes towards Little Bun for letters and all that other stuff that I think is really cool for him to to read on or those spy mystery boxes that I bought for him. I mean, all of that stuff I'm willing to spend on Little Bun because he doesn't ask for much. And I love buying him books and all these things that I think he might like. So that's something that I also spend a lot on. I also spend a lot on charities. I do 10% of my gross income every year. So, you know, make conscious spending choices. 
oh, I guess that brings me to rule number 10. If you're in debt, don't donate to charities. Okay, I'm sorry. It's not money that you can give with a free heart. That's a rule that I've always lived by. When I was in debt, I didn't give to charities because I told myself when I get out of debt and I build a nest egg, then I'm going to give money freely and with an open heart because when you give away money that is not yours, it's not really you giving the money. It's your future you or the bank giving that money. Okay, so this maybe is an unpopular opinion for you religious folks out there who believe in 10% tithing even though you're in debt. I definitely 100% do not believe in this. If you are in debt, you are your own charity. You need to make sure you steady your financial situation so that you can grow your nest egg, grow your money, and give back even more than when you were struggling and in debt. Rule number 11 would be to keep things simple. So I'm actually not the best example of this because I have a lot of bank accounts, but they all have a different purpose. So that's how I kind of justify it to myself. But I have, for instance, TD Bank is the best bank for me for US dollar sending and conversions. Then I have a bank for everyday banking. Then I have one where I park all my emergency funds so that I don't see them. And there are different accounts, so I don't log in and see them. You can have just one bank for all of this, or you can have multiple banks, but try and keep it as simple as you can because otherwise things get out of control. You have too many banks account, bank accounts to log into and passwords to remember, and then you don't know where all your money is. And plus, if you consolidate your investments, instead of having $1,000 at 10 different investing institutions or banks, if you have $10,000 at one, then you have more clout than for them just seeing that you only have 1000 and when you hit like a $10,000 mark, when you hit 100000 and then 500000 doors start to open for you in terms of banking and investing. In fact, they'll start throwing money at you and giving you lines of credit and stuff like that. So, I mean, just FYI, if you're interested. Rule number 12 would be to track your spending. Even if you do it loosely once in a while, if you think you're getting out of control, track your spending. I'm a money nerd. I like to track everything that I spend on, even though I don't really limit myself, even based on my tracking. Because there's a difference between having to budget so that you can make rent next month and put food on a table versus budgeting just because you're curious how much you've spent on shoes this year. <laughs> and I'm in the latter camp. I'm just curious about my money. And I'm like, oh, oh, this number is getting big. Okay. All right. Maybe I want to tap on the brakes a little. You know, I might tell myself that and then maybe I might YOLO afterwards or not. But either way, at least I'm keeping on top of what my financial situation is so that I don't let it get out of control because I never, ever want to get back to the point where I was in debt and struggling to even make a first and last month's deposit on rent. That was a very low point in my life when I was 23, graduating with 60K in debt. So that's an example. Rule number 13, I don't lend money to people. I'll give money and I won't expect it back, but I'll never lend you money. You can't come to me and be like, can you lend me $20,000? Either I have the money to give to you or I don't. Because when you lend money to friends or family especially and you don't have anything written down that you gave them that money, a lot of things can go wrong because people can change once they have that money. Maybe they lose it, they're embarrassed, they don't want to you know, uh, give you the money back because they simply can't. And then you're kind of feeling awkward, like, well, but where's my 20 grand? You know, basically, don't ever lend money to people. If you don't have the money to give it, then don't give it. This is the reason why I don't lend money to my parents. I just give it to them or I pay for stuff directly, like that roof, for instance. 
And maybe my last rule would be that your money is your money. So how you spend it and how you decide to waste it or not is your problem. So don't expect other people to come and save you. Okay, that's the other side of the coin. You can spend your money the way that you want. You can go into a million dollars of debt and then go out and treat yourself every single day if you wanted. Nobody really cares. They might say something, they might judge you, but it's not their money. They don't really care. And the same goes on the other side. You might have lots of money and you're going out spending it, having fun with it. And people are like, oh my God, couldn't you just take that money and do something better with it? Yeah, you could, but you're not going to because it's your money. So I try to keep judgment about other people's money to myself. Sometimes it's very, very hard, I'm going to tell you, in real life. Oh my God. But I try not to judge other people because at the end of the day, it's not my money. It's theirs. They can do with it what they want. I can give suggestions, and I do to my friends. I can suggest things. I can say, you know what, with your mortgage you should definitely take a fixed rate, not a variable. And this is why I told one of my besties when she went to buy her house recently this year, and she called me later on saying, I am so happy you told me to take a fixed mortgage because when the rate started rising, wow, she says, I, I'm really, really happy that I locked it in. I said, I'm glad I could have helped you. So that's an example, okay? But had she not taken my advice, I never would have called her and be like, I told you so. You know, first of all, friends don't do that. But secondly, I would have just felt sad that she didn't listen to me, but also kind of relieved that she'd made her own decision and she decided to do things on her own. Because can you imagine that she would have taken a fixed rate mortgage and then everything cranked down to zero and she's paying like 4%? Yeah, I would have felt really bad. So again, I take no responsibility when I give advice. I will say the bad and the good of what advice I'm giving you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, your money is your money. It means that you can spend it, save it, invest it, abuse it, don't use it, don't save it, don't invest it, don't abuse it the way that you want. And nobody has to answer for it but you, which also means that nobody's coming to save you. Okay. When you make money choices and you make bad, bad ones, and I see them on a daily basis, I got to tell you, I see some pretty horrific, highly questionable money motives out there and I don't say jack because your money is your money and I'm just here to help you if you would like help but if you don't it's also cool it's up to you you know I'm not going to judge you for it I'm still going to be your friend but don't expect me to come along and save you because I won't <laughs> I just won't unless of course you're my parents in which case you know then we'll have to discuss how we can do this in an equitable manner and I think that about does it. I mean, 14 rules. I feel like I should add one more to make it an even fif 15, even odd 15. But I can't think of another rule. Honestly, it's just live your life in a balance. Oh, rule 15. Live your life in a balance. Don't spend too much. Don't save too much. Always think of the bigger picture, but live it as if you are living your life today and not putting it on hold for the future. And you're not robbing your future self because of the way that you're living today. Always try and find a balance. That would be my rule number 15. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed my rough off the top of my head money rules that somebody asked me about. And if you have any questions, you can always ask me. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Talk to you later. Bye.